Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. hear a lot about preachers say today that God's just not calling people anymore. And it doesn't seem like He's calling as many, but I, I but I back in the 70s, see like every time you turn around, a young man was surrendering to preach. It was everywhere. And that's kind of what I want to preach on today, found in Romans chapter 1, on has the Lord quit calling His servants. Has the Lord quit calling His servants. And uh, if you find your place in Romans chapter 1, I'd like for you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Romans chapter 1. It said here in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations, for His name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated, and let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today. We ask, God, that your spirit move among us, God. We pray you touch hearts. We evaluate our lives to see where God wants us and, and are we being what God's called us to be. Help us, dear Lord, today to, to look to you. If there's anyone here today not saved, and we pray today that they'll see their need of the Savior, dear God. Lord, the days are getting short. The coming is soon, dear God, and our hearts ready. And we as God's people, we have a calling to us from you, dear Lord, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Help us be faithful to that commission, and we we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> said right here in verse 1, he said, I'm called to be an apostle. Now in verse 6, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ? In verse 7, he said, to all be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Paul spoke much about the calling of God here. Uh, most people may not realize when you get saved, we're all called. We all have a calling to be the servant. The greatest position <coughs> that you can have in this life is to be a servant of God. Right. And if you're saved, you're called. Right. You're called to be His servant. You just won't put in the church here to warm up you, but you put in this church here to help this church get the gospel around this area, getting Lexington, Columbia, and West Columbia. Right. And, and, and the church also has an opportunity to go around the world through missions. Right. But we all have a responsibility. We all have that call upon us. And there's probably no greater calling in life than to be a servant of God. Amen. The great preacher Robert Sheffy, 
He, he was a, a mountain preacher, a slicker riding preacher up in the Virginia, North Carolina, and Tennessee mountains many years ago. And he, and he preached great revivals, but they said if you go to the little town in Virginia where he's buried in, he has on his tomb a servant of God. Amen. And then Paul called himself many times a servant of God even before he called himself an apostle because he considered that the greatest calling. Right. But when was the last time God called someone in the ministry? God called me to preach August 17, 1977. And I actually called me uh, December 31st, uh, 1976. But I didn't run from the call. I just wanted to be sure it was God. Amen. So one thing, when God calls you into a Pacific ministry, and He's not going to call a man or a woman into a Pacific ministry until He learns how to be faithful in the calling He's given Him. But when's the last time we've seen a young man sold out to God to be a preacher of the gospel, maybe a pastor, a missionary, or evangelist? When was the last time we've seen a young girl who loved the Lord, wanted to be a servant of God, a missionary, a Christian school teacher, a pastor's wife? I'm not only kind of believe, I believe when God calls a man to be a pastor, I believe He calls his wife too. Because I learned one thing, a good pastor will make a break, a pastor's wife will make a break a pastor. I've heard a lot of preachers giving, getting out of the ministry because the wives wouldn't follow them. And then that shouldn't be. So that woman should understand when she marries a preacher that she's part of that calling. And something else we don't see, no, we just think the calling of God's for young people. Uh, but you're never too old to be called to God. Right. You're never too old. Just remember, Anna and Simeon were still in the house of God, both of them around 100 years of age, and they were still serving God right. in, their, in the temple. Right. Uh, I know a man now, he's probably in his, uh, close to 80 now, he was called to be a missionary to Brazil when he was 58. Amen. And uh, everybody thought when I was, uh, resigned to Christian, not resigned to retire from Christian education, that, uh, well, hey, you're retiring from the ministry. No, you don't retire from the ministry. I, reti I may have retired from the school, but I didn't retire from God. Right, amen. And, in fact, God, uh, God put us on the road. <laughs> uh, I've been cranked up in that little schoolroom for all them years, and I passed it a couple times. But it's different when you start getting out on the road and living by faith. But you never get too old to be called. But we need to realize that we don't pass our responsibility off to the younger generation. We'll be an example to that younger generation. There's nothing wrong with a preacher, a young preacher looking up to an older preacher who's been there and has done that. Right. I was reading some Bible history about the Baptists in America. Now most of them, the South Carolina, it was the first Baptist church in the Carolinas. North or South Carolina was right here in South Carolina. And that was in charge of South Carolina. A bunch of Baptists got banished from the Boston, Massachusetts for being Baptists. And so the whole church moved down to Charleston and set up a church down here. And that was real common in them days. And people just, uh, had, uh, one church in Virginia, had the whole membership, parents, children, grandparents, everything just got up and moved to Kentucky. Man, you can't even get them to go across town. They were moving across state. 
But you know, during that great revival, that great awakening, the Baptists probably were affected mostly in that great awakening. But not only were uh, they were having a great revival, but preachers were being called, and these preachers would go out and, and, and start churches. The Shubal Stearns is that great preacher from North Carolina. And he had a lot of men called out, a man named uh, David Marshall and a man named Samuel Harris. Samuel Harris went to Virginia, and many of the Baptist churches up in Virginia were started out of the church at uh, uh, Spring, it's called Swift Creek. And another man, Daniel Marshall, he, he left, he kind of went out of Virginia, he left Virginia and come down to South Carolina. And one of the churches he started is still in the Connery Baptist Church. It's, it's still in existence today. I talked with the pastor on the phone a couple of weeks ago. That church is still in existence. And so there's a, there's a great need out there. But you ain't got to go around the world when God can call you to be a witness right here. Right, right here. And we're all put in this church to be missionaries. You're a missionary to Lexington, North Carolina. You didn't know that, did you? Hey, it's not the pastor, y'all. We're not Southern Baptists where they expect the preacher to do everything. You're put, you're put here to be a help to this man to see this church grow. Yeah, numbers are important if numbers are right, but numbers are not to brag on. Numbers just show you obeying God's call. Amen. And so these Baptist churches were unique because you were Baptists against the law to be a Baptist. And you were put in prison, beaten, had your property taken, eventually banished. Some were beaten to death. And even after the Constitution was ratified, the Massachusetts still put Baptist preachers in jail in spite of the First Amendment. But we see in the spirit of revival, the Lord was making some of His greatest calls. And I believe God is still calling, but I wonder if we're listening. Right. Are we listening? Uh, God's not short on preachers. Uh, the, the, some of the, the Pentecostals justify, well, men are not doing it, so well, the women going to do it. No, it don't work that way. God's always going to have a man he's going to call to be where he wants him when he needs him. But today we need to listen to his voice. Is God calling you? Man, woman, boy, or girl, is God calling you this morning? The first thing we want to notice about this call is that the Lord will call the qualified. Those who put themselves in a position. You know, you get saved, you get baptized, you get into church, and you, and you start hearing the Word of God. And, and I can remember, it wasn't long after I got saved back in 1976, the preacher talked about dedicating your life to God. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Have you given yourself to God to put you in a position to call you if you're called? And you, it's good to be in that position. It's good to be dedicated to God. He may never call you to be a preacher, but are you in a position where he can call you if he needed you? There are some qualifications there in that chapter. One, a candidate to be called of God must be saved by the grace of God. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren. 
He won't talk about fleshly brothers and sisters. He's talking about spiritual brothers and sisters. And the signifying that I'm talking to the save at Rome. He said, I always, he said, the first thing I want you to do for you can serve God, I, I want to let you know you've got to be saved. And what greater thing, that's the greatest thing that can ever happen to you in this life is be saved by the grace of God. Amen. When you realize your unworthiness to be forgiven and you receive the Lord by faith in your heart. Hey, that's the first prerequisite to being called. The second is you must have submitted yourself to the will of God. He said that you present. And some people say surrender, some say submit, but either way, some people have to surrender because they're not a going. And sometimes when God, if God ever called, if you can get away from the call of God, God didn't call you. Right. Because you get called to God, you're going to be like Jonah. Sure. Right. You're going to be out of a well full of trouble. Right. Amen. You can't run from God. I know a young man that's called around when God called me to preach it. And the young man preached, preached on the street corner on, on the evils of the, that town we live in. And the movie theater burnt down that night. Amen. But he got out of, he, he got out of the will of God. And God, he drowned. He drowned in the river swimming. So it's, it's a, a thing, but you got to accept the calling. This calling is going to require sacrifice. You're not, nobody's going to serve God without it costing you some kind of convenience. People say, well, preach, I ain't got time to go. Well, you got time for everything else. Right. Somebody asked me one time, why do you go to revivals? Why do you go here? Why? I said, I never had time to do stuff like that. I said, I put it in my schedule. Right. But serving God is going to require some kind of sacrifice, and it wants to be a living sacrifice. You know, nowhere in the Bible did God call us to die for him. But we ought to be willing to, but he called us to live for him. Right. But not only you must accept this calling, but you must be assured that's a commitment. That is a dirty word in Baptist churches today. Well, I won't commit, so I won't be obligated. And you know, a lot of marriages are treated that way. People get married, but they don't want to commit. Prenups. Who's ever heard of such thing? Man, you already, you already put a sign on the wall. Your marriage is going to end if you got to sign a prenuptial before you get married. Right. You don't marry with intentions of breaking up. And it's the same way with God. You never commit yourself to God with intentions of quitting. Right. You've got to have that commitment. You've got to have that promise. You've got to have that devotion. No matter what comes your way, you're going to do what God called you to do. So you must be submitted. You must be saved. There's something else you must do. You must be set apart to be different for God. And that's where the rub is at. A lot of people won't dedicate their lives and listen for the call of God because there are some things that they want to do that God doesn't want them to do. But that verse there says, be not conformed to this world. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we preach on separation from the world, but what about that separation to God? Right. Amen. I believe the more you separate yourself under God, the more you want to separate from this world. Right. Amen. 
And then basically those verses are teaching, if you want to be called of God and you want to be in a position, you've got to be different from the world, not like the world. Right. you got to have that distinctive testimony. People should look at you and tell not whether you're saved or not. And it's hard to tell in a lot of churches who's saved and who's lost because they don't look much different. Man, that don't mean everything can be perfectly because I know a lot of lost people got a better standard than a lot of saved people. But you got to have that desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you got that in your heart to transform your life to the image of Christ, God just might use you. God just might use you. But you know, biblical separation today is a lost quality in a lot of Baptist churches. Now, if you say the word standards, you're called a legalist. No, I'm a Bible believer. I'm not teaching you that these standards save you. I'm teaching these standards, standards prove that you're saved. But they are lost quality among many believers today. But not only you must be qualified, God gave us some choice examples to follow. He gave us some examples. God's always got an example of God's call and how the calls are different. The first one was Abraham. Now, how would you like to be sitting here? Let's use this uh, couple right here. Let's use this couple. What would you do if God just told you, said, I want you to quit your job. I want you to sell everything. But I want you to move somewhere. And you go, where, God? I said, I'll tell you when I get there. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. God called him not knowing where he was going. Yet he did it. He obeyed God. God called him over there in Genesis 12, 1, to get thee out of thy country into a place that I will show thee. Most of us want to know where we're going before we get there. And God does that. He does. But sometimes there's some special people who call to do special things. And Abraham, he called to be a father of a new nation. Right. A father of a new nation. Actually, he was a father of two nations. Most people think he's just the father of the Jews, but he's also the, the father, the father of the Arabs. <laughs> and you know, all that mess in the Middle East is just one big family squabble. That's all it is. Cousins fighting cousins, and brothers fighting brothers. It's just a mess. But he's also called to be a friend of God by faith. And that's something we can all be if we live by faith. We're a friend of God. And there's nothing but a friend in Jesus. He's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. He's going to be there with you. If your mom and father forsake you, he'll lift you up. Man, I, that's the kind of friend I want because I know he's going to be there for me. How many of you have ever been betrayed by a friend? Ever been hurt by a friend? Jesus will never do that. But you want to be that friend of God. Live by faith. And we're all called to live by faith. There was Paul. Paul was chosen to forsake the comforts of the home. Acts chapter 9, verse 15, we see the calling of God after Paul got saved. 
Till ye shall be a witness in Jerusalem, ye shall be a voice to the Gentiles, and ye shall suffer great things for my name's sake. If there's anything that we learn from Paul that the call of God is an example for personal sacrifice. Paul had nowhere he could call home. When Paul got called, that was probably the last time he had a permanent home. Here's a man that went about the world. I learned the other day they didn't walk everywhere they went. They did ride carriages. <laughs> but he went to the known European world and the Asian world with the gospel of Jesus Christ nonstop. He built churches along the way. He preached the gospel along the way. But one of the most common things that you'll find about Paul, everywhere Paul went, Paul suffered. Paul had stones thrown at him. Paul had been beaten. He'd been in shipwrecks. He'd been robbed. He'd been, he, all kinds of things happened to him, but it did not deter the call that God put on his life. Amen. The average Baptist, they can't even handle the word boo. Right, brother. Right. They going to be that way. I'm not going to. You ain't lived until you had a door slammed in your face on visitation. Now I tell you what's worse, the same day I had a door slammed in my face, I was met with a double barrel shotgun. And then I got bit by a dog. Did I quit? No. Matter of fact, uh, when you things like that happen, it kind of fires you up to keep on going. Amen. Persecution and pressure and troubles and tribulations shouldn't deter your call. It should fire up your call. Right. Amen. Those disciples over there were beaten and told not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they went out rejoicing. Paul and Silas were put in jail for preaching the gospel, taking a man, uh, man's income away from him by leading the moneymaker to the Lord. And they were singing praises and praying at the midnight hour. It just fired them up. But he left his homeland for the known world, yet he had no personal or permanent place to call home. Because he was always going somewhere, staying here or staying there. Me and my wife, since we've been in this minute, we stayed in a lot of places. We stayed in some great places. We stayed in some not so great places. Hey, but it beats sleeping on a rock. It beats sleeping in your car. And we enjoy it. Yeah, does it bother the flesh? Oh, yeah, you get 66 years old, a lot of things bothers the flesh. But God makes it worth his while. But he, he served as an example of painful suffering. Read the book of Acts. Read the book of 1 Peter. One of the most common characteristics is something that we do not comprehend. It's the word suffering. Paul, you read Acts 15, Acts chapter 9, verse 16. He, God said, I'm showing him how I'm grateful. He shall suffer for my name's sake. Would you, be, uh, would you accept God's call as suffering was part of the call? Well, guess what? It is. It is. He said, yea, all that live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Hey, COVID's just a test run of what they're going to do in the future. 
I've had COVID and some bad stuff that'll kill you. And and I'm sorry the government took advantage of it. But I learned one thing about COVID. This shot is not, if you want to get the shot, that's between you and your doctor. But that COVID is just showing us how easy it be for people to take the mark of the beast. We're going to suffer. Sometimes I wonder if I'm living right enough because I don't suffer. Now, I'm not going to go out there and pick a fight. Right. I'm, going to, I'm going to be like a lot of that. You know Paul and other rebuked the disciples for hiding in that upper room? Even Jesus got away from persecution. But if you ever get caught, that's when you need to make your stand. Sure. Because I told you those folks in the early days, they were they would just leave one state and go to another state just so they could have church. But we're warned about this. We're warned, yea, all that live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's something else we shouldn't about persecution. We shouldn't think it's strange. All this stuff we're seeing today where the government wants to uh, make the churches shut down and, and do this and do that, I say that's between the pastor and the church. The sh- government shouldn't have to, the pastor needs to necessarily have to shut his church down, the pastor, the government shouldn't have to tell him to. Right. I believe the good churches are handling this thing better than the government ever will. Right. But he said, don't think it's strange. We shouldn't think this strange what we're seeing now with this turn in this country for its hatred for Christianity. We shouldn't think it's strange. What in the world is going on? Hey, it's not exactly what God promised, that we're going to suffer. Right. And then there was James and John's choice to be fishers of men. They were out there helping their daddy mend their nets. And Jesus walks up and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it said, they forsook their nets and their father. Why would they do that? Because it was in their heart to follow the Lord if he called. And that's why you got to be prepared. You got to prepare your heart and, and dedicate your life to God so you can be ready for that call. James and John were ready for that call because they were taught it by their father. It's well to teach your children how to make a dollar. It's good that you hope they have some kind of success. But if you're not teaching them that the will of God is the most important thing in their life, you're teaching them wrong. And I believe Zebedee as a father, he taught his boys, if God calls, you follow. He said they left their ship. In other words, they forsook their career choice. But Pastor Caldwell, if I accept God's call, I got to give give up that eighty thousand dollar a year job. That's only money. Yeah, we could all use a little more money, 
But I learned one thing in the 46 years I've been, excuse me, 45 years I've been saved is money doesn't buy everything. There are things that God's blessed us with money can never buy. And you know the only things that are going to last is not George Washington, but what I've laid up in heaven. They left their career and they left their family. That's one of the sacrifices. It's a blessing that like, if you can get to stay home, God lets you stay home. So like every time I go into ministry, in my ministry, I always end up back home. But in my calling, I was always willing to go. I've been to Louisiana, lived there five years, lived three years in Tennessee. I lived five years away from my home in North Carolina. Now we travel on the road and don't get to stay home that much. You just stay home long enough to, to keep the air conditioning field to change into grass mode. But it's going to require sacrifice. And one of the sacrifices, you may have to leave your family behind. And the reason they followed the Lord, like I said, it's something they desired. It's something that they were taught. Boys, this fishing is important. This is how we put our food on the table. But there's a God out there that one day he may call you, and if he calls you, I want you to follow. Amen. Hey, I, I can hire people to fix the nets. You know you are replaceable. And it's, they were taught by a faithful father. There are a lot of children, our children wanting to follow the Lord should be a parent's greatest joy. Yes, sir. Amen. Even if God sends them to Africa. Yes. Right. Uh, my daughter was dating a young man whose daddy was a missionary. Unfortunately, thank God things uh, worked out, didn't work out between the four guys, but she was ready to go to Africa. Would I miss her? Yes, I would have, but I'd be rejoicing in my heart that she was serving God, but, th but things didn't work out, but thank God it happened before they got married. <laughs> but it should be our greatest joy that you got a son in the ministry, a daughter in a, teaching in a Christian school. We know a young lady, she's uh, giving herself to help the blind in Africa. And she's raising her support to go to Africa to, to teach the blind children where she's at. And then there were the disciples that followed Christ. Luke 14. Now this is a, one of the, the verses that kill a lot of people from wanting to serve God. Luke chapter 14 verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren and sisters, yea, even and his not even and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Who do you love the most? He's not teaching me to hate my mama. He's not teaching me to hate my wife. He's teaching me that my love should be that supreme over all other loves. It's the love for the Lord. Right. And I've learned over the years when I love the Lord like I should, I love her like I should. Right. Amen. If I'm me and her are having a problem, 
then most likely me and God are having a problem. And my wife, same way, Lord's the most important thing in her life, and I'm second. I don't mind that a bit, because I don't want to be an idol. And I don't want her to be an idol in my life. That's one of the things. These disciples, they, they had to learn to prioritize the Lord's, Lord's love. Keep the Lord first in all things, and God will take care of everything else. Amen. If you're having problems, most times you're probably having problems with the Lord as well. But not only that, the Lord must be my top priority. Like I told you all ago, if there's some things I need for the Lord, do for the Lord, I put it in the schedule to do it. When the church starts back at their Thursday night visitation, if they ever start the Thursday night visitation again, I'm going to put it in my schedule to be there. I ain't going to go to no softball tournament. It's amazing how we got time to do what we want to do, but we don't have time to do what God wants us to do. And they learned the price of serving God. You got to bear a cross. He's saying, if, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And what does the cross speak of? Sacrifice. Right. It may be moving, mean moving away from home. It may be leaving your family behind. You single boys, it may mean you leaving your girlfriend behind so you can go to Bible college. It may mean giving up a good job. The first time me and my wife ever left home, we went to Louisiana. I learned one thing, when God calls you to Louisiana, he better call you stomach too. That food will kill you. But we went there, but I word got back, some, some people on my wife's side of the family were highly critical. I said, why could they got to go to Louisiana to serve God? We can serve God here. I said, because this is where God called us. And when it comes to those things, family and money, that kind of call of God takes back seat. But we must bear that cross, and we must follow him unilaterally. And last of all, why aren't we listening for the God's call? Bible says several times in Revelation, he doesn't have ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking about more than these ears. A lot of people, if you hear with these ears, don't mean you've heard. Right. You got to hear with this ear. Why aren't people, a lot of people like Jonah, they were indifferent to God's call. He said, I hate them people. I'm not going. We know what happened to him, and we had the ignorance of Samuel when he was a little boy. I think it was the third call before he realized it was God speaking into him. And then, like Jeremiah, he was insecure. He said, "I'm only a child; I can't do them things." Henry Morehouse, when he was 15 years old, told Dale Moody, "He said, if I would come to America, will you let me preach?" Dale Moody just kind of. Jokingly agrees, and yeah, about a couple months later, when Dale Moody was in Dallas, Texas, he got a telegram wire. That was a 16-year-old boy that you said could preach. 
He said, let him preach. D.L. Moody got there about two weeks later and the young boy was still preaching. And every day he preached from John 3.16. Can you imagine having 14 messages on one verse? At 16 years old. People, a lot of people are insecure. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, it's something where that's not an ability. God has to give us the ability. I'm still learning how to preach. Amen. I told somebody if I learn how to preach, I'll die because I won't have no need to preach anymore. Amen. And then there are people like have inability like Moses. But why, why do people are not listening? One is family pressure. Like I said, our responsibility as parents is to teach our children to listen for the call of God first. Family pressure. They, they actually discourage them with secular pursuits of life. And the lady at the motel told me yesterday, said, we're putting y'all on the fourth floor, said, we got softball tournament in town. And I found out why, because uh, she put us on the top floor, because, man, there was a lot of noise below us. <laughs> Got them kids out there playing softball today for maybe one hour of glory. But it's probably spending eternal in hell with agony. Nothing wrong with ball. You have days of the week you can do that. I love baseball. I want to be a professional baseball player. I was a fairly decent baseball player. But God saw fit and let some injuries come in my life and I walked away from it. But they discouraged them with second pursuits. They just ain't the fact. Now, hold your seatbelts on this one. There are parents out there who disdain the fact that their children might be more spiritual than they are. Yes, sir. Right. And that ain't, that ain't, that ain't going to happen. Nobody's going to be in my house more spiritual than me. I knew a young man named Mike. He was a black boy. His daddy was a deacon of an independent Baptist church in Fort Worth, Texas. His daddy worked with the social services. Mike got a little rebellious and they sent him to this boy's home. I saw Mike at a camp meeting. Mike said, he said, Mr. Roebuck, I said, I'll let you know I got saved. Amen. I'm saved. Boy, I called my mom and daddy. They were so tickled. I got saved. Amen. And they couldn't wait for me to come home. I saw him about six months later, and, then you, and you, if he had a, if they'd been a, probably took a forklift to get his bottom lip off the floor. I asked him why he was so sad. He said, after I talked to you, about a month after I talked to you, God called me to preach. And I called my daddy, said, God called me to preach, and my daddy told me never to come home. My wife remembers the girl, and the girl we used to work on the girls on. She remembers Sean. Sean was one of these outspoken Pentecostal girls. She'd argue with you at the drop of a hat, and she would drop the hat. Sean got saved. Family was fine with that. Sean got up in church one night and denounced the Pentecostal movement as heresy. She and. Her parents told them that they never wanted to see her again. She had to go live with her aunt and uncle who were Baptists. There's a lot of parents out there 
who are discouraging and putting the wrong kind of pressure on their children. Not only that, we got peer pressure. <laughs> Friends. I learned one thing in a Christian school. I worked 23 and a half years in, in four different Christian schools. And I learned one thing. Children can be the most cruelest people in the world. I'm talking about cruel. you talking about they put bullies to shame. But you'd be surprised how many a young person in the Lord want to dedicate his life to the Lord and his friends will start mocking him. Ridiculing, making fun of him, until the point he's so ashamed that he'll forget God even called him. And then there's fear pressure. There's family pressure, peer pressure, fear pressure. Like I mentioned, some of them, I won't mention them, afraid of relocating. Hey, Jesus relocated. They're scared of giving up a good paying job and they're fearful of breaking up a relationship. Young people, you listen to me. When you start a courting and your parents start letting you courting, it's two things. One thing you better learn about the person you're dating. Y'all, you better be on the same page about the will of God. If not, you're going to have a marriage made in hell. Right. You're going to have a ministry that will never get off the ground. Right. She's got to both of you got to understand if God calls, you got to do what God tells you to do. And if you're not in agreement with that, it's time to find somebody else you can agree with. And then there's pulpit pressure. There's a lot of preachers not even encouraging it. A lot of that comes from the parents to kind of back off on that. I don't know what happened at church. There's a church near home. The pastor, got, he only been there four months, and he was looking for a church. I asked him what happened. He said, if I put it to you this way, they pulled me aside and told me to quit preaching them some things. I said, if it's in the Bible, I'm going to preach it. And he said, well, when you get to it, just skip over it. So he resigned. But for a lot of pastors, uh, I've been pressured by parents not to encourage their children. And there's a lot of pastors fear and they lose them to another location. Now God called me to preach. I was talking about going off the tabernacle in Greenville. And my pastor said, all of a sudden, there were about four or five of us in the church had been called to preach in the last year. And the pastor started the Bible Institute. We didn't have to go nowhere. But you know, well, we're going to lose our church members. And last of all, are you ready to be called? Are you in a position, no matter your age, are you in a position God could call you? You know, there's a lot of things out there other than preaching, missionary, in nursing homes. Sure. You know, I, I, I kind of encourage this if God lays it upon my heart. There are a lot of people out there dealing with bedridden people, people that are bedridden like Alzheimer's or can't get around. Sometimes those caretakers need a break. 
My former pastor, I live beside my former pastor, his wife's got full-blown Alzheimer's. And I dealt with her one day in the yard. She asked me about two dozen times in an hour what day it was. And I said, if I dealt with that in an hour, why does he deal 24-7? Is it wearing on the patients? Yes, it is. But you tolerate and put up with it because you love them. But sometimes they need a break. What about you? You could be that person, maybe an hour or a day, or maybe go help them do something when they're not able to do it. There's a lot of things you can do, be called to do, but are you listening for God's call? Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. When the road is calling up your-